Right, hello everyone and welcome to BizPod, the Behaviour Intervention Support Network's podcast. I'm your host and trainer and manager at the BizNet service, um, Sam Harris. And we wanted to sort of give the podcast a kickstart again. It's something we've been doing on and off for the last sort of couple of years. Or I've been doing it on and off for the last couple of years. Uh, but given the current lockdown situation, we thought if we can get some more free resources out to parents and professionals... Uh, and I wanted to try and, I guess, up my game a little bit and invite some guests onto the podcast. So we are looking for guests to come on and speak about any of either the work they do in the sort of field of, we use the term behaviour support to kind of cover um, a wide range of young people and adults with behaviour support needs. Um, and the bulk of my work, the bulk of business work, is with those young people on the autistic spectrum or with ADHD and ADD. Uh, so any guests in those kind of fields or areas, um, as well as individuals themselves with autism, ADHD, that want to come on and share some of their uh, really helpful insights on what that's like for them. And I've got my first, well we've had guests in the past, but I've got, um, and I don't want to do them a disservice, but they are people I know um, sort of through I guess daily work regular work but I have my first I think super guest I'm gonna I'm gonna really big him up now so that it puts pressure on him to to really to really nail it um but welcome to Fintan O'Regan hi Finn hello Sam you're like Graham Norton aren't you firing us <laughs> all up really before we uh, before you yeah you ask those searching questions to uh <laughs> To get to the get to the crux of the matter. I mean, I'm wearing a pink T-shirt, but I don't know if I'm quite as, as camp as that. But you know, that's uh, I'm happy. He 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 does well for himself. So if I can be anywhere near that level, I'll be very very happy indeed. Um, just to give everyone a bit of background. So um, if you haven't heard of Finton before, uh, I I guess I'll talk about you know how I came across his work. So I um had just started managing the youth service, and I. Uh, or blagged it, it that they would send me on one of those SEN conferences um, where they have, I think it was the TFAL conference maybe, Finn might be able to, well he wouldn't have known I was there to be fair, so um, do you remember those Finn's in the old sort of the conferences where they'd have yeah, lots of different yeah, speakers? Yeah, I, mean, I think um, you know, myself and a few of my colleagues really, uh, we were all, um, I think, still quite new to the whole conference mm-hmm. circuit because I, you know, I was, when was it? special school. Sorry. When was when were those sort? Because of, I I think it would have been around two thousand eight, two thousand nine. I I that that have been about right. Yeah. I was uh, I was um, I was ahead up until two thousand and two. So okay. it was about sort of six years or so. I think when I was doing, I used to do some just general inset for schools, um, and then there was sort of a broader range of options to do to work with not just teachers, but to work with people in social work and to work with people in foster care and I think you know they became a much wider um, appreciation of uh, of different learning you know differences and I think uh, as you probably where we were the school I was a head teacher of was an international special school for um, students all over all over the world and um, what was interesting for me was how they were describing it in different ways because in those days uh, ADHD certainly didn't have the profile it has today, mm. um, and uh, it, you know we were using EBD then. As you as you know, ASD was took a long time to get established, but ADHD has has taken uh, gone quite a journey. And, and 
And the reason I got involved in that term, just to sort of say, was because of the American influence of the school, where they were using that term um, a lot more than we were in the UK at that time. So I think I was invited to some of these conferences, um, especially in those days, Sam, because I think ADHD was pretty low on the radar. And, uh, and I think we, our school was one of the first places to really do assessments and, and recognise it. Mm. I'll, I'll come back to the school because I'd, I'd really like to hear more about that. Um, but as I was saying, so I, I went to one of these conferences, saw you present, um, and I have to say, it, you, you know, it's a, it's a nice moment for me because you, you've always been a bit of a, a hero of mine in terms of the work that I've got on to do. Um, and I, I guess watching you present, it made me want to be able to present as well. In, you had a very funny, engaging style. I won't put you on the spot and make you make everyone laugh, but, you know. Um, so, but I, always, I, always, I thought to myself, I've got to go away and actually do the work. Because one thing I, I liked about your presentation style was you had examples, you had stories of it in practice. Um, so I guess rather than focusing on the the presenting side and, and writing the books which we'll come on to later could you tell me a bit about that practice what where did you learn because you you know um sorry I'm all over the place here as a host one of my favorite books which I always recommend to people is can't learn won't learn don't care um, yeah. and obviously in that you've got these models that you come up with for, for supporting individuals with um, ADHD conduct disorder and oppositional defiance disorder where did you hone your skills? When did that happen? That's my long think, question. <laughs> yeah, well, no, thank you. No, I, like everyone else, I think I'm, I'm really, um, I, I think you do have to make it up as you go along. I, I think uh, <laughs> often if you're working in behaviour, I, I don't think it's for everybody. I think you have to have uh, a certain personality. You have to have a certain kind of ability to read situations of which you do. I've seen you in action too, and it's uh, it's great. The fact, thank you, for what you said to me, but you know, it's it's great to see uh, uh, the new blood coming along, so to speak. Because <laughs> a few of us now are getting old and crusty, and we need you guys to, to carry on with, with the torch. And I, I think if you if you go back to what we used to have with behaviour, we we used to call behaviour. It was all the EBD. It was a collective term, you know, emotional behavioural difficulties, or mm. as some of you guys will know used to sometimes call it extremely bloody difficult every bleeding day yeah. and then EBD then you know morphed into SEBD and 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 BSD and and sometimes EBSD and now of course it's SEMH which is I think a better term because it's talking about you know the, the results of behavior it's, you know the, it's, not, it's not describing it it's talking of a mental health range of things and I think to answer your question about the can't learn, you know, won't learn, don't care, it just occurred to me the Americans just looked at things slightly differently than we did. They didn't have a collective term for behaviour like we did with the EBD. What, in a, in a nutshell, what they did was they, they tried to describe what was impulsive, non-premeditated behaviour, which essentially was what ADHD is. Mm. Um, and then they had a term for more premeditated, um, you know, thought out um almost calculated type behavior which they call conduct disorder and then they have this one that's kind of in the middle where it pushes back at everybody and pushes everyone away and that was oppositional defiant disorder so i think having you know read about it and and, and then worked with work with clinical psychologists from the us who are using those terms 
it just then sort of clarified some of the students I was working with. And, and, and what it meant was you had different practices for different, because, for example, you know, we use sanctions and, and rewards for most types of monitoring behaviour. And they work for some people, don't work for others. They tend to work actually mostly best for the ones that don't really need them, really. But but for, for children with ADHD, just the, the sanctions just didn't work because the first time they thought about it, they'd already done it. Mm. So you, you, you had to sort of therefore say, well, that makes sense because that doesn't work for him. Whereas for someone who's more premeditated, then you could say, well, sanctions have a role because they're weighing up whether or not they might get away with it, so to speak. So I think it was those kind of things. And then working with the students yourself, you, I mean, you know, you do see the same students actually every year, just different names and faces. And so what you just find, therefore, you try and adapt your systems towards the style of the person you're with. And the last part I'd say is that thanks for saying about being you know, entertaining uh, and when we do talk. So I think having sat through quite a few myself on the way up, I was determined if I got the opportunity to do it, not to make people bored. That mm. was the bottom line. Yeah, I, I think I totally, that again, that that's what I took from it, was actually if I wanted to deliver training, it's not enough to just know the topic and have delivered it in practice, but actually you've got to work hard to make the presentation engaging. Otherwise, you know, people, I, mean, I know I would switch off, so... <laughs> You have to practice what you preach. If I'm honest with you, this, the difference between doing work online and uh, and doing it live is that when you do do it live, you, you really can practice what you preach, particularly in a classroom scenario. And you can do it to a certain extent online, but it is about, um, you know, uh, making people changing the, the you know, the... the the angles occasionally and getting movement into it. If people are sitting down listening to you, um, they tend to listen better if they can interact with each other and got some movement, you know. But um, but like a lot of these things, we're we're all you know we're all searching for answers. Um, I don't think anyone has has the right um, you know correct. But we're all we're all looking for ways to help young people who are you yeah. know themselves finding their own feet. And and I think. The good thing, I think, from 2008 and, and to where we are now, although we've got some obviously present issues, is that the issue of mental health and um, and people understanding developmental differences it is so much more advanced than it used to be. Mm. Because, as you will recall, in those days, if a child did something that was you know naughty or was, it was generally speaking um, said to be the, the fault of the parents and and. And, and, you know, while obviously, you know, there are factors at home that can influence behaviour, we, we know so much more about it now. So that's been a particularly um, uh, encouraging mm. uh, change, really. Am I, am I, I, be, I mean, one thing I was um, sort of interested in, because I know back when I started, which wasn't you know, as long ago, but it was still, I guess, well, 2007, so it's a while ago now, but the, the whole idea of, ADHD or ADD even being a, a difference or disability was kind of up in the air people were sort of still arguing that it was just behavioral um I I'm I follow or try to follow as much of the sort of up-to-date neurological research as I can um and one thing I've been hearing a lot of and this guy called Russell Barkley that I've, I've yeah. listened yeah. to a lot sort of talking about actually there is a, a neurological difference to ADHD and ADD and is that something you connect with or you follow? Yeah, or? very much so. I think, you know, I'm a, I'm, 
you know, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a psychologist or a, or a psychiatrist, but I'm a, actually, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'm a chemist actually. I'm a, a biology and chemistry teacher. Okay. So I was always quite interested in, in the science anyway. Um, I think, I, you know, I still believe very much in the power of people, you know, the, the, you know, in order to change and influence and, 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 you know, to, to, I suppose, nudge individuals towards change. But there's no doubt that understanding the neurological differences um, about how people react to certain situations is certainly going to help that, that process. Mm. Like I said a minute ago about we tend to use systems which are all geared towards people who have developmental norms, if you like, really. And with, with ADHD, the, the wiring is, is, is different. And, and, and because of that, it means that some of our regular approaches will need to be adapted. And uh, obviously, the thing we all avoid talking about still, it, it had a huge stigma back then and still has now, is the issue of medication. And just to make the point, you know, medication doesn't change the behavior of a child with ADHD, but it allows the person working with the child to help more time to help them change the behavior. So, and I think where the Americans were very different from us was they took on board the neurological and the science much more openly, um, and, and people like Barclay were obviously foremost in that. I think we were very slow to do that, really. I, I still feel that we we felt, in terms of uh, behavior, there was still, like I said a minute ago, a very large nurture element to it. And in fact, that nurture element to it isn't completely, as you know yourself, isn't completely uh, wrong, because you know nurture plays a part. But what we also know now is a bit of a double whammy for children with ADHD, because often they're born with neurological differences and often they do come from families who themselves may have those issues too. So a child that needs more structure than norm may be coming from a home where the parents themselves are finding this particularly hard to do for themselves. Mm. And, and this, at this particular time, you know, with, with the COVID-19 situation uh, resulting in parents having to, you know, look after their children for a much longer period of time, you know, this is obviously a, a very... Uh, interesting time uh, and um and i think you know a lot of parents will will, will, will need a lot of support so mm. you know the sort of things that you do for example i imagine you're going to be very you're going to be a very busy young man to put it that way yeah well hopefully hopefully i mean obviously the the services we deliver usually are done face to face and like you say you, you do miss out a lot by doing things online but we are having some success with the skype calls and the q and a's and this kind of stuff so if that provides support to people I'll just segue there. Please like, please share. Um, yeah. It really helps spread the word and us keep doing it. Um, just going back to, to what you're saying, I, I, I really um, agree strongly with what you were saying about someone with ADHD or, or ADD not having that impulse control to even consider a behaviour. So therefore, we have to change our approach. You know, that I, I've... I've been fortunate to work with quite a widespread of young people at Cedar um, over, over the last decade. and But even if you've got a, a label as such, sometimes the support still needs to be really individualised. And, and the idea that you can give a whole set of different young people with different needs one behaviour approach just never made any sense to me anyway. Um, well, I think that the simple answer to that is to say, and I'm always... I don't like, you know, not correcting people. That's not what I'm saying. But I, I do try very much to sort of 
redirects people when they talk about ASD children or ADHD children or that their children are young people first and foremost mm. who may have traits and I think the word is these days traits of ADHD and, and traits of ASD because you know the overlap between these terms is the norm and, and not the exception so I think you're looking at children first and traits so for example in ASD it's not to say this is a you know you, this is your area that, you know, your key thing for me is is if you if you tell people to think about reducing the anxiety, that's not a bad starting point. Mm. You know, anyway, for anybody, but it's crucial for those traits. For children with ADHD, you you've got to be taking on board elements of things that, that don't always come in the diagnostic criteria. For example, children with ADHD have a low threshold of boredom. Mm. Now. That is not always apparent, which is why people say they can do it when they want to. If they're interested in what they're doing and who they're doing it with, they're right on the money. But when they aren't you know, particularly on it and not particularly interested, they look for stimulation elsewhere. It's not to say that they should be getting away with anything. And I mean, I always make this point that you own your behavior. ADHD can't hit John. You know, Jim hit John. You know, Jim owns the hit, belongs to Jim. We need to help Jim make a different choice. But I think if we understand a little bit more about the science and about the different rhythms of how children react and, and they learn, and we'll put them in situations which hopefully will we'll reduce the impact of, of, of when they get stressed and when they get bored. And that's really what I think we're trying to do. You know, we're trying to just give people those, those basic tips about reduce the anxiety. You know, think about children that would have low thresholds of boredom. And, and the thing about boredom, though, it's quite usual because people take it quite personally. They say things like, well, I'm not boring. And it's like, you know, it, it's it, it's a real feeling to the person who has it. You know, don't take it personally. If someone's bored, they're bored. You know, you have to you have to sort of accept the fact they're bored. They, they're, they're easily bored. You can't say be more interested. You know, you, you've got to do something about it. And that's what I'm, I'm interested in is, is is getting people to... To maybe understand that a little bit more, not taking things personally, and try and change the price. And in, in the course of which, they may be maybe mopping up a lot of other students or people who, who were actually bored as well, but didn't display it so much. Does that make sense? Particularly, an mm. ADHD is quite a good foil for that, because you've got the overt ones, which we all know, and as you said, you've got the covert ones, the ones with ADD, which no one spots. But there'll be other people drifting away as well, Sam. And so it's about, you know, not to say that if you do this, it will benefit everybody, but it might well benefit some other people as well who, who are floating through, you know, because we'll be looking after them as well, the ones that are floating along. I mean, I, I, one thing I wanted to do with, with this podcast as well, which I think I mentioned to you, was uh, drop in some tips for parents that are at home with, with young yeah. people at the moment. Yeah. I, I've done a few, quite a few sort of bits and bobs on autism, but... I thought I'd leave the ADHD stuff with the experts. Um, so what you mentioned about uh, low tolerance for boredom, which definitely rings true with a lot of the young people I've worked with. If you're a parent at home, one of those young people with a low tolerance for boredom and you're trying to get them engaged in activities, what what, what kind of approach do you think would, would be a good starting well, point. I think, you know, you know, how long's a piece of string and we could, uh, and you know, it'd be the age of the child and the developmental stage they're at and if they have traits and everything else. I think the, the, the short answer is that 
Children with ADHD like structure, and they actually, although they might push against it, they they really deep down like it. So you you, you just need to have a, a framework. You need to have those. I'm sure most parents have this have already decided to set up to get up at the same time. You know, have the academic work in the morning, have some breaks, have some screen time, monitor that. You know, get some movement, walk around the garden if you have one, or take the dog for a walk. I'm sure most people have have are looking at those those options, and there's many, many, um, many, many options online out there. You know, I so I don't want to do the selling part, but I've got a hundred top tips for supporting for parenting children with ADHD on the website. So okay. you can. But what's, the, what's things, the website for? Well, I think confirm a lot of things for parents. And there might, there obviously is a hundred of them, so there's obviously some things there that they might not have thought about. But I think the the two things I would consider is that you you have to take on board this fact they have a low threshold of boredom, and, and when someone is bored, they need stimulation. So it's how you stimulate someone. And this is going to be someone who you know a, a five year old versus a fifteen year old is a very different set of criteria. What what I would say is that works quite well. Let's take the 15-year-old. A 15-year-old who's working and doing something from school, I think the first thing I would say is that schools are now, I think, getting the idea that less is more mm. and that it's the quality of what you do and not the quantity. So I think an hour or an hour and a half a day on academic work is probably going to be what you're going to get. You know, and if you get a better... Now, I know the idea is what do they do the rest of the time. Well, the rest of the time, I think it does have to depend. I would watch your screen time, if you like, really, you know, and try and keep it to later in the day. But I think manipulation, when they're sitting, you know, I'm a big fan of using manipulatives, tangle toys, concentrators, Lego, puzzles. And actually, the, the bizarre thing is, is that if you watch a teenager learn... Um, it's amazing how they learn. They are able to concentrate on what we're doing now, Sam, and at the same time, look yeah. at another screen. Now, I said about watching screen times, but that's not a movie, but I would say I recommend that for 15-year-olds working, and I've had this conversation with a few people recently, they're really bored. What I would recommend you do is you, if you have the option, not every family has that, but if you are um, working and listening to someone like we are now, a teenager with ADHD in particular would be probably much better focused on you mm. if they were looking at a screen playing Sims or something on it as well as. Now, now I know it doesn't seem to make sense. Isn't that going to distract them? It is, but it's going to distract them less than, than, than not having it. Mm. If you don't allow put distractions in there they will find distractions and they will flick and they will kick and they will punch and they will look and they will move they will move so you have to put distractions in for younger children again i think the same thing is have two things going on at the time have two pots boiling you know have them do one thing and do a puzzle at the same time have some lego at the side you know have some plasticine there not rocket science but it's it's understanding that someone who is different needs something different. And, you know, this is where neurological differences, I think, need to be um, explained to people. Because if you have a physical difference, we have no problem in giving someone who is an asthmatic an inhaler to breathe. 
Well, this is what we're really saying about neurological differences. Because they're different, you have to react differently. Does that make sense? Mm. And, and I'm not trying to do the selling part, but you know, just to, to say, I have those tips, you know, on my website and in a, in a booklet for parents if they want it. What's the thing? Sorry to interrupt. What's the confirming stuff? For some of it, it'll be new. What's the um, website address? Just oh, sorry. It's www.finsonoregan.com. Okay. Fantastic. I'm just quickly telling you, there's 10, uh, 100 uh, tips. There's 10 categories. Uh, it starts off with diagnosis. It, it talks about, there's some stuff there on defiance. Uh, talk about organisation, homework, as in now, homework, schoolwork at home. Um, and there's a overactivity. You know, you can, you know, so there, there'll be, I think, you know, I think it will, for some people, as I said, it will it will confirm what they're doing. For other people, there might be some angles in there they haven't thought about. Brilliant. Fantastic. So make sure you check that out, everyone. Um, I, yeah, again, couldn't couldn't agree more with the answer. I think, you know, one of the things we, we know about people with ADHD is that, that they can be very creative. They can actually yeah. multitask. They can put an idea in the centre and ping it off yeah. to 100 different ideas. So actually, there are ways such as the ones you've just described, where you can kind of put them in in a more competent position and they're going to succeed. And I think that's really, really yeah, important. Yeah, I mean, you know, but I, I, when I have parents, sometimes, I do parent support group meetings too, and, uh, and, and like sometimes I say, and they say they can't sit down for more. I mean, there is a stat out there. It's Barclay's stat, actually, Russell Barclay. It says it takes a child with ADHD to do the same piece at home or takes them three times as long same piece of work at home as in school because in school you've got a structure you're sitting in rows there's the culture of it mm, at home all the distractions are, are around you there's just this that and the other and you've got the cat and the dog yeah, yeah. you've got the doorbell and you've got sounds and you've got and they're all coming in and we know the adhd brain is is, is can't filter them out the same way everyone else does everything is competing for their attention so actually you have to be you know when I say to parents sometimes that he can't sit still at his laptop, if he puts a headset on, playing music, walks around the room, and he's walking with his headset, it's probably going to get more done. Mm. Look at me as if I've gone absolutely <laughs> mad. And then two weeks later, they come back and said, that works. And I'm not saying that it worked for everybody, but it, you're, what you're doing is that it, they are very distractible. So what you've got to do is you've got to put in proactive distractions. If you don't, They'll find them. Mm. So that's a fantastic tip there. So proactive distractions, I think, is a really good way to sum that up. That's fantastic. Um, I mean, just going back to, you know, that idea of, uh, I guess, consequence and punishment, that is an interesting one for me with, you know, that book, um, you know, the one we mentioned, can't learn, won't learn, don't care. Um, I worked with a young man for probably like an eight-year period in various roles at Cedar, and he, when he came to us, he was like, as if someone had taken what I'd read about ADHD and personified it in a young person. You know, he's he's a, he's a, he's forty foot up a tree the minute you've opened the bus door and gone into the forest, and he's there gone. Um, and he were the when I first started working with him, he was quite um, almost quite apologetic for his behaviour. And then over time, he went, he went, he got excluded from a couple of schools and he went to a more specialist school and, and then he would come back to us in the holidays and, and he, he did seem to start to fit a more oppositional profile um, where he would almost seem to deliberately try and 
um, you know, you know, make me then go on, stop me doing it. You can't stop me. And then the, again, unfortunately he went down a sort of criminal route and with the conduct disorder, it started to, so it was almost like for me, I felt like he fit almost every box. Um, and unfortunately I felt that was perhaps to do with the system he was in being quite punishing around what he couldn't help. Um, so I don't well, know, I mean, you know what you thought. I mean, it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? And I, and I think, look, I, the only way I can describe it to you is what you said there was really interesting at the very first part. You said that, um, and I think this is a, a bit of a, a bit of a the, the scriptor. I'm going to go off. I'm going to. I'm going to because. So okay, let me give you an example. If a kid would, uh, if you're in the classroom and someone throws a pen across the room, you turn around to to try and. Um, spot who's done it the child would would, would would say more pure adhd he's pretty easy to spot sam because he didn't plan it he didn't think about it and if he does try to sort of cover up you, you can walk right through his story because he's not premeditated and sometimes he'll just tell you he's done it you know because he knows that he's not good at that that a child with conduct disorder is more premeditated he's a planner he's thought about he's tried to pen across the room He's got an alibi. If you turn around, his alibi would be the kid with ADHD sitting beside him. So he'll be the one. That's the alibi. And then the child with opposition, we find it sort of a bit in the middle because it doesn't really matter if you spot him or not because by the time you've got him to, to give up what he's done, he'll have blamed you for being a boring lesson, which is why he threw the pen in the first place. So you won't get any change out of them. But what you said about... Um, that child you were talking about, that lad, when you first came to you, he was, you said he was sorry, he was empathetic. And you often find that children with ADHD, they are empathetic because they didn't really mean to do it. They, the first time they thought about it, they've already done it. So that's the impulsivity. So usually they're quite sorry afterwards. What happens is, as they get battered and bruised by the system and told off, they start thinking, see, I don't think oppositionally fire disorder is a real term, if you like. I think they're traits of frustration from people who've been told off for many, many times, then they start thinking, well, I'm going to, the best I can be is the worst I can be. That's the best I can be. Mm. And after a while, everything just flows, falls off them. And then you talk about getting into in the conduct disorder. Now you've almost got someone who's conditioned towards being, getting negative reactions from people. So then they decided, well, you know, I'm now, that's me, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get told off or anyway, whatever I do. Now you, you can, you can. I'm going to make you. I'm going to make you pay, <laughs> so to speak. And, and but conduct disorder, I think, is something that we talk about enough. But I would say you do get some people who I think are misdiagnosed. Um, I don't think many parents or teachers like the term because it's gritty. It yeah. is gritty, uh, and and the cold, calculating, premeditated, and. Um, and you can develop conduct disorder from ADHD, but you, you can't get to ADHD from conduct disorder, see what I mean? Mm. Some people are kind of, have that nature. And um, it's important that if we're talking about non-premeditated people, we do also talk about premeditated people. Mm. And the reason I say that is because if you misdiagnose somebody who does have more conduct disorder features, and say, for example, one of the options is medication. Medication is there to help people stop, hesitate before they do an action. 
if somebody's already determined what they're going to do, they've already planning the action, well, giving them medication is not going to be helpful. You, in fact, would make them, in, if you take the theory to my point, you, you, you'd make them more premeditated. Yeah, and that's not what you want to do. Mm. So as much as it's great that ADHD is being viewed now not as an excuse, but as an explanation, we also do need to bring conduct disorder into the, you know, on top of the platform so we can distinguish and, and we can get better at it. And and the problem we do have, and this is where I do think, um, you know, I do agree with some of the people that say things are overdiagnosed, is that the diagnosis of ADHD in particular is not regulated and, and there's, some, there's some real irregularities on the quality of the diagnosis, the time that's, that's spent on it, um, and... Um, you know, and 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 the, as I say, that there ought to be some degree of, I think, um, self, well, not, I don't know, self, not self-assessment, so to speak, but but somebody or someone that can regulate, you mm. know, a, 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 a range of tests that everyone agrees with, because as I said, you know, just because someone comes with an assessment doesn't necessarily mean that assessment is accurate. Really? So, because I don't know much about the, the diagnostic process for ADHD at all, so it's it's not. It's not sort of it's not overseen. It's not regulated. I, I mean, I'll give you an example. The one we did in the schools, uh, my, when I was head teacher of school, took seven or eight hours over two days. I now realise that was that was as as good as it's going to get. Mm. Um, you get a half an hour sometimes with a paediatrician or a child psychiatrist. Uh, okay. and, and, you know, you might fill a form out, you might not, and then you know that's not that's not a lot of time. Not, enough, uh, not yeah. a lot of the demand is there. But the quality of the assessment is is totally important. And the other thing I want to say on that is that parents I know battle, battle, battle for ages to get an assessment. And and the thing is, you've got to make that point. Assessment is not the end of the journey; it's the start. Mm. Um, and you know, there's still a lot of work to do. But no, there's a there's a there's there's, there's an issue there about the standardisation of, of of the assessments, and and some of them are better than others. So are there are there bits? I don't know how sort of. I mean, it sounds like you delivered um, assessments at some point. So, are there are there parts of the diagnostic criteria for ADHD that could be behaviour that's actually presenting itself because of a conduct disorder? Then, yeah, I think so. I I, I think I think there'd be um there'd be a um there'd be a, a what do you call it? Also, a a tendency for for parents in particular to to almost be in denial if conduct disorder was found you know it's a bit like um it's a bit like when you have a situation of um of someone being in a socialization issue you know the, say bullying for example when you've got a bully you've got three components you've got the, the victim or the target you've got the bully and you've got the bystander you know and actually the key is the bystander um i don't think and it's very hard being a head teacher involved with bullying because no parent wants to accept that their child was the bully, mm. you know, because you know they get very defensive, and that's that's you know, and often there's two, there's there obviously sometimes people are accused of being bullies and they're not, but sometimes people are exhibiting it's not they're not a bully, they're exhibiting bullying behaviour, but unless you address that, you address that, and there's some characteristics of bullying and conduct disorder that overlap quite a lot actually, unless you accept that those behaviours are bullying behaviours, you will never really resolve those behaviours. And it's a bit like yeah, it's a bit like saying if you don't 
accept the fact that conduct disorder is a better fit for the behaviours you're seeing, you'll, you, you won't really change it. And I've just given you an example. If you start you know, using medication for conduct disorder, you're giving medication to someone who already knows what they're going to do and will do it more so. Does that so, make sense? Yeah, so, so that premeditation is key. Then, it, really. it's, important, it's important for us to, to at least talk about conduct disorder a lot more than we do currently mm, um, because I think it's um, I think it's we're, we're not squaring the circle here whatsoever mm. so with it's interesting isn't it because there are certain labels and diagnoses that kind of do come I don't want to be crass about it but they, they become sort of in vogue in a way not that the, not that parents are wanting their child to have that but that like you say they're kind of seeking that diagnosis to get the support they need and also i think to get some validation that actually this isn't down to my my parenting so i would imagine that conduct disorder the difficulty there is 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 it likely that conduct disorder is only going to come from a place of um difficult home life difficult parenting no no no, not not at all i I would say having I was the head of an independent special school. I mm. can definitely qualify. It is not down to the heart. Obviously, what causes conduct disorder is so much more of a debate because is it neurological? Is it environmental? There's there's no doubt in my experience of managing or working supporting children with conduct disorder. There's no doubt that you, you one of the things you do have to do is is um, is change their role models because often they are influenced by someone who's so if home doesn't have particularly good role models and that can happen over a whole socioeconomic range trust me mm. then 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 you've got a problem and in fact working with them so i don't think but i will take say to you that adhd that back in 2008 was not okay dyslexia once upon a time was a stigma it's not a stigma now asd was a huge stigma you know it's not so much now mm-hmm. adhd was a huge stigma in the 2008 it's not so much now Maybe a little bit more sexy now, you know, because it's, uh, you know, people are not as afraid of it. It's more now. But conduct disorder is not at all. No. To, to do. I know parents said, but my point again is, unless we are um, being honest and accurate about these things, our aim is to help children and young people become, you know, independent and not dependent in the future. And we have to be giving them the right, the right start and also as I said to you before there's a there's a tendency that you know rewards and sanctions work differently you know for different types of people which is back to my first point really but I think we've got to um, um, understand that if if we look if we go back to what why we're doing this we, we broke up EBD BESD which was good but we we're looking at the ones who are impulsive and not premeditated, that's your ADHD. That's that's the sort of like the can't learn, if you mm. know what I mean really. The 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 won't learn for me was the oppositional defiant, the ones that are pushing you away, they've got the traits, they've been battered and bruised, but they don't care, that's your conduct disorder. Mm. And it's a very different mindset you've got to deal with with someone who can't learn but wants to, versus someone who really doesn't care. Yeah, they're not unretrievable, but it's a different different approach. Mm. Well, the you know the sanctions, the punishments, they almost can be adapted for every single model. There, can't they? Yeah, yeah very um, much so. Very and much I mean, so. I, 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 perhaps I'll give you 
what how I would see it, and then you can correct me. Yeah. Um, yeah. But for me, with with using those kind of sanctions for someone someone in a, a can't learn, they need to be helped to remember what behaviour is expected as close yeah. to the point that yeah. it's required. If if we would use any sort of sanctioning, I wouldn't make it particularly um, strong, um, and it would almost be have to be immediately after the behaviour, maybe just to correct. Correct. Um, and then probably would weight it a lot more for the positive reward yeah. or reinforcer right. for the good behaviour. With right. with ODD, I might uh, the oppositional side, I might look at more contracting ideas, yeah. getting yeah. to buy yeah. into it, yeah. getting them to see what's in it for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. But where the conduct disorder, I have to say, because I, I probably, again, because of like you say, it's not a label that gets used a lot. I've not worked with anyone, I don't think, with an official conduct disorder diagnosis. So it's not really my area. So what what does that impact in terms of you? How do you use sanctions on someone well, that doesn't care anyway? Yeah, I, I like the way you, I did the first ones before. Number one, as you said, about the immediacy with ADHD, which is absolutely true. You, you give them something the day after, then they completely live in the moment, has no influence whatsoever. With um, and, and they're more likely to be distracted by getting positives than they are from sanctions. So that's, that's yeah. your starting so you, you're absolutely in the right place and there's no fade or complete on this with opposition fire disorder it's more of a mood issue and they need more time to actually you know it's a bit like with ASD you've got to reduce the anxiety the environment you know don't 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 take it personally when they show and doing something contractual with them is kind of like yeah that's not a bad start so with, with, with conduct disorder I think it's it's not a case of um, you know them thinking about what they've done uh, when you get it. and obviously rewards are good to do there as well but with sanctions I think it's just been very black and white if you do this that's what happens right if you do this that's what happens and they won't like it the first time do it non-personally don't give them any any sort of any emotion don't give them any um, I'll give you an example we had a years and years ago I had a lad who was and again from a home that was a very wealthy home but to your point and I was a science teacher he stole my um, my electronic scales, fifteen year old, probably using them for some, you know, for inappropriate reasons. Yes. Electronic scales. I knew he'd stolen them. He knew I knew he'd stolen them. All the other kids in the class probably knew he'd stolen them, um, but I couldn't prove it. Didn't leave a trail because mm. they're calculating, they plan, no trail, covered up everywhere. And he was a bit one of the guy. He had a he had a sort of a. a yeah, he had a reputation. The other kids were probably a bit scared of him. Rung his parents up, and, and they, they were, like, completely in denial. And I think, to be honest with you, they were a bit scared of him too, you know. <laughs> so I, I, I can't, I can't, you know, I can't, you know, I've got my scales, and they're, like, 250 pounds or whatever. I know he's got, and it's, it is, like, and he knew, I knew. It's not easy, right? But ADHD would have been a trail. I could have walked right, I could have, he would have got out the door because he'd have, dropped it or he'd have, he'd, have, he'd have told someone about it and you know he'd have been blogging about it it just would have just just been so this one so I've got to get my scales back so so I decided just on a, a bit of a I suppose it was just you know I got in one day well the first day it was kind of like by mistake they want to do a lab on a Friday afternoon you know Friday afternoon not a boring science lesson I said, well, I can't do a lab. I haven't got any scales. There were some real grumblings amongst them, and all so, so, and all that. And then I thought, oh well, this is all right. This, this is, this is good. I went home. There's a lot of grumbling, right, amongst the group. 
next Friday. It's great. You got new scales, sir? No, no, can't. Can't afford budgets all done this year. I'd love to do a really good experiment. Got all everything <laughs> mapped out. We can't do it, but that's the worksheets, lads. More grumbling around it. He was looking at me. The first week he was smiling, right? Second week he weren't smiling so much because the other kids were all kind of knew it. Third week, can't remember how long it went on for, Sam. It wasn't. It wasn't years, but it was probably a month or so. One day I came in, my scales were there. You know, and and, and I. I Nothing was said, nothing could be said, nothing, I had no proof, but, you know, it was kind of holding the line, I was lucky on this particular point, that's what it takes, really, you got to, you got to, a bit of a little, using the crowd sometimes, you know, a little bit of herd mentality, you know, and a uh, bit of a game, it was a game for him. So it's almost like it's uh, a bit, it's a bit I like a... game in a way that I got my scales back. Yeah. But it's all, as an approach, it's almost like a, a bit more detached and distant and just, well, yeah. here's the consequence of what you've done. Yeah. I can't change it. Here, here's, what, here's what's happening, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. You so, won't always get like that. And I think it, the thing is we expect people to give us emotion and react in ways and feel sorry. Back to your point, they're, they're not sorry. There's no empathy, hmm. you know. And I don't want to say, you know, that, that there's, there's, there's aggression there sometimes and... But there's no remorse, you know. There's 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 not there's not there's a cold so and calculating you, element to it. Oh, so with so with conduct disorder, then there is, that's been shown that they, they don't have empathy, then, or because that's quite a controversial idea, isn't it? You know, because that's quite tied in with psychopathy and and that kind of. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that? that's why I say your approach is 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 just um is, and as humans, we like to see people. I mean, here's the point: it's not about there's no point getting them to say they're sorry because yes, yeah. they're just not sorry. Right. And I think you can spin your wheels on that. You, you might want to do it from a social setting point of view. Just as, but my point is they're not they're not sorry. And mm. so, you know, there's no point. There's no point. There's no point digging for it. That's my point. Mm. And 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 you know, having said that, you know, you don't stop trying. I suppose to get people to feel you know, in certain ways, but I think if you spend too much time on that and you take it personally when it's not happening and you start thinking, oh, I'm not doing a good job here or I, I've lost my touch or, or he hates me or whatever, then you, 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 you're just wasting energy. Yeah. I think it's interesting because it, in, in, um, in a lot of my training, I talk a lot about delivery you know that that, that sometimes the 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 sort of standardized approach to behavior that a little tweak in how you say it a little change in your approach makes such a big difference and it's interesting that kind of approach um because i work a lot now with uh, parents with young people that would fit a kind of autism and demand avoidant profile um and actually what you find with that profile is the more that you sort of hammer home a consequence or a, a you know remind them what their behavior will do it creates more anxiety and you see more behavior um and that that kind of distanced well matter of fact well this has happened so this is what happens as a result is about the only way that we find that you can successfully have some sort of boundaries with that kind of profile so it's a similar ish yeah, I, 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 it is very similar. I, I think you, you're on, on the right thing. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm trying to think back to that. I think there was probably, 
I've got a bit more uh, respect over the loudest skull in my stables. I don't think he and I were ever best buddies, but he probably, in his own way, he probably mm. thought, oh, you know, I'll, 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 that was all right. He probably used them where he wanted to use them anyway. You know, he's probably still laughing at me. But, you know, you just can't take it personally. And no. you, you, you just try and find ways of getting the job done. But I think it's, um, and, you know, we don't want to say that... And the, the, you know, here's a, you know, these are the people who can be existing in society in all sorts of capacities. People who have conduct disorder, like, like if they're going on a negative side in the criminal justice system, this is why I do bat for the ADHD group because they are your risk takers. They're your, they, they're not planners, and the police will tell you they catch the followers, they don't catch the leaders. But the leaders are the ones who are calculating. They are, you know, they're, they're, they're premeditated. They've got other people doing, taking all the risks for them. Mm. Um, and you have individuals like that who can work in business. So, yeah. you know, I'm not saying that, um, you know, you, you, these things will always mean that you are unsuccessful. Um, they're characteristics that if you get into the right framework, you use correctly, can be, um, you know, can be attributes, I suppose, really. Mm. You know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a, and there's studies into all kinds of things that, that prove that if you've got a loving, connected relationship in your life, you can have all these different kinds of profiles, even a psychopathy profile, and, and still do good things. And like you say, it can be an advantage. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's Children, key. I always make this point that if you have a child with oppositional defiant disorder, they are the defence lawyers of yeah. the youth. <laughs> yeah. Or Ryanair cabin crew. You know, everyone has got, a, you know, got a role, really. You know, they're great arguers. They are great at, um, you know, twisting things around, you know, to the, they are, they, you know, in certain fields of business and work, that can be a very useful characteristic, you know. In a school environment, see, the thing about schools is we, you know, without, this is not my point, it was um, Ken Robinson, you know, what schools want is they want compliance. Yeah. They want people to do things in this kind of similar way. And a lot of the children we're talking about are um, not compliant. They're different. You know, they have a different mindset about stuff, and school can be quite constraining for them. But, you know, we know that many children who struggle in school can be very successful outside of school, particularly when they feel that they choose to be in and they're interested by it. 100% so important. I mean, and it's ridiculous that schools do put that weight to compliance when actually... Like you say, the world, especially now, is not geared towards that. You don't, if you're running an organisation, you don't want yeah. everyone thinking exactly the same. Because, well, exactly. You know, that, that, that's the irony of irony here, Sam. You know, that business wants different. Yeah. Business wants people different. The problem is that the people who aren't compliant in school don't get the opportunity to finish school, to get the interview, to do that thing. But they find different cool. routes. But, you know, having said that, you know, we, we still have a society which is about rules and, and mm-hmm. orientated, and I always make this point, you know, you have to follow the rules, you know, if you're on the motorway and you don't see the speed camera, you'll get a ticket, you know, and, and that's how it works, and if you keep on getting tickets, you won't be able to drive, so you, you do need to help people to understand there's boundaries, and we need to com- need to conform to them in order to run an ordered society, so, you know, but if you have someone like ADHD who doesn't see a camera, then you what you do is you you give them a, a I don't know a, a sat nav with a beeper on it when they get to seventy, yeah, you know, yeah. and then you you need practical help, you know. So but it's understanding it first of all, accepting that people are different, and then most people, 
Yeah, I use a formula for management. I don't want to bore you with this, but it was probably in that book we talked about called SF3R. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's quite simple, really. Everyone needs structure. They really need structure. They need boundaries. They need to have expectations. But you've got to have flexibility with it. Um, and flexibility is where I think people get confused. They think it's it, they think it's contradictory. It's not really. It's complementary, but it's how you do it. But some things non-negotiable. In the structure, there's some things that are non-negotiable. You've got to establish those, whether you're ADHD, ODD, BBC, or NTV. It doesn't matter. The flexibility is how you tweak it. But then if you've got people who are, f- are fighting back at you, the ones who are oppositional, you, you've got to have rapport. That's your first R. You've got to have that communication with them, you've got to have that trust that builds up eventually. They, they, they're pushing away, they've got to trust you in a way to deliver it, which is what you do well when you're doing the one-to-one with those individuals, getting their trust. Second R is relationships, which is obvious in some ways. And the third one is resilience. That's when you take the stabilizers off and they can go off and do that. Sometimes that, that third R could be role models, particularly with you know conduct disorder in mind, someone to conform. Everyone listens to somebody. Mm. got to find out who that person is if that person isn't a particularly um, good influence then obviously you know it's 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 not going to be as good as someone who's a better influence fantastic I think with with that thing I think we should we've done nearly an hour um, so I think that's a really good place I'm, you know I, I always remember that model and yeah really really, really love that um, I'm just well, thank you. as I said before we're all trying to like you know help families and, and individuals right now and um, you know uh, whatever we can do to do that you know we've got a little a very different kind of environment that we're looking you know looking at for the next few months really so uh, you know you know between uh, you me and all the other people out there we'll we'll try and offer as much support to families as we can definitely and I'd love to have you back again um, just, to, Pleasure. just as an excuse to sort of pick your brains really um, just to speak to that that model there, I mean, there's another really quote, uh, good quote that I use a lot, which I like, which is I can't remember who said it though. Actually, you can't really quote someone if you don't know who said it. Can yeah. You? But um, it says be firm on principle but flexible on method. Which yeah. Is, yeah. You know, speaks yeah. to that yeah. that idea. Yeah, I, I love I love those things, and um, uh, I, I you know I'm a big fan of um, you know. Know, those terms it's something to base what you do around isn't it yeah. um, but yeah, thank I you one about happiness it said uh, success is getting what you want happiness is liking what you get I like that uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sense. but there's a lot I like I, you know, those for, I mean there's one that um, uh, one I read some years ago is you know about you know, about being fair and stuff and it said fairness isn't giving them the same as giving them what they need. Yes. You know, that yes. for me is where, you know, that's why it's important to, to be more, to be flexible with some people. It's not about treating everyone the same. As long as there's certain principles, health and safety-wise, that are non-negotiable for everybody. Mm. But, you know, I'm always saying this, you know, when I go and do my training around the country, you know, it's not a crime against humanity not to have a pen and not look at you when you're speaking. You know, it's those things are within that flexible category mm, well listen great speaking to you great um great having the opportunity to chat and um well, let's let's do this again sometime okay i'll i'll, I'll hang up on you now and things i'm going to keep recording just to sort of let people know where they can get all the other sort of input from but thank you ever so much and i'll thank you. speak to you soon all right cheers see mate bye fantastic so um that was a real privilege for me i hope it wasn't too sort of um I don't know, waffly, giddy. (laughs) 
sound like a bit of a fan crush. No, um, someone that really sort of shaped my approach over the years. So really glad to get him on there. Hadn't even sort of looked really in detail at that ideas around conduct disorder. I know it's a difficult label um, for people to look at. So I'll explore that a bit further myself. But I think for any of you listening with a, an ADHD young person, there's hopefully some really useful stuff in there. And, and, you know, any young person, really, I think there's some really helpful stuff in there. Um, if you like the podcast, if you if you enjoy it, you want to hear more of them, you want us to be able to get better, I say better, Fintan was excellent, but, you know, more good guests on there, um, sharing, liking, commenting, reviews, that is all really helpful. Um, so, yeah, uh, apart from that, thanks for listening. <laughs>